Let's look to the word of the Lord this morning. If you'll turn in your Bibles again to our ongoing study in the book of Hebrews. We are in chapter 11. Some call the faith chapter and we also call the endurance chapter of those who endured in faith throughout the entirety of their lives. We now turn our attention to the example of faith given by Moses and his parents. In Hebrews 11, verse 23, will be my starting point. Please follow along as I start reading in Hebrews chapter 11, and now verse 23. By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents, because they saw he was a beautiful child, and they were not afraid of the king's command. By faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch him. By faith they passed, through the Red Sea, as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians, attempting to do so, were drowned. Let's bow in prayer before the Lord, shall we? Father God, oversee your word and enervate this preacher to deliver unto you and your people a message for your glory. But more than that, Lord, your glory we want to give and know, but we also want to share, share in the knowledge that glorifies and so teach us that we might leave these things as Moses lived and proclaim you by faith. So gird up, Lord, the loins of our minds and prepare our hearts for the hearing of your word and build us up in the faith as through Moses and as through his parents. In Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. Faith that pleases God, now part 10. Faith that pleases God chooses God. A faith that pleases God chooses God. That is... Simple, but yet it is profound. It is a directive for all of the life of faith, and Moses here will give us that example. But interestingly enough, as you may have been sort of taken back by the way in which verse 23 is composed, we are used to the format 
that we have seen here, starting in the very first part of this chapter, verse 4, by faith Abel, and then what Abel did. By faith Enoch, and then what Abel did. By faith Noah, verse 7, and what he did. By faith, verse 8, Abraham, and what he did. By faith Sarah, verse 11, and what she did. Verse 20, by faith Isaac. Verse 21, by faith Jacob. Verse 22, by faith Joseph. Now verse 23, by faith Moses, when he was born. Wait a minute. I know something about being born. It happened to me once. But I have no recollection. And as far as it's been related to me, I had nothing to do with it. So what's this by faith Moses when he was born stuff? Moses, by faith, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents. Okay. From day one to month three, this wasn't Moses. The actions taken by faith were not Moses, yet they are attributed to him in the early portion of his life. I cannot remember the first three months of my life. Please raise your hand if you can. And if you can, it's probably because your mom told you something about the first three months of your life, and you think you can, but you can't. God is telling us something about the beginning of the life of Moses that was on the razor's edge of death and life. The history of this moment in time was that Israel, the people of God, had been in Egypt for now many, many years. As a matter of fact, 400 number was coming up. And had been transferred from that people of deliverance that Joseph was raised to the second highest position in Egypt and had a voice like the voice of Pharaoh and oversaw the entirety of Pharaoh's land to now his people being relegated to the position of slavery and bondage. And the people of Egypt were afraid of the children of Israel because the children of Israel were doing right and obeying the word of God, fill the earth and multiply. And they were multiplying and they were multiplying faster than the native Egyptians and were outnumbering Egypt. And the pharaoh of Egypt was becoming frightened of this group of foreigners who were now so strong in population that they might take over. If you're watching the news today, there's other countries worried about these things. And most of them are Western countries that are not producing children and foreigners are outbreeding them and taking over. There's a fear there. Pharaoh is afraid, and so Pharaoh decrees to all the midwives, these are those who help in the birthing process, that they are to kill the male children that are born to these Israelites. 
They're to kill them. Let the daughters be born, but the males to be killed. Thankfully, God works through the midwives, and the midwives try their best to preserve them and saying to Pharaoh, well, these, these Israelites, they're hardy, hardy women. They have their children along the way, and we, we can't get there in time. And one such woman must have been the mother of Moses. There's a decree for the death of her son. And this is what happens. Hebrews eleven twenty three. when his parents... They saw that he was, because they saw that he was a beautiful child, they were not afraid of the king's command. The king had commanded the death of their son. An afterbirth abortion. A heinous thing. Totally against the command of God to fill the earth and multiply. And this Pharaoh, this king of Egypt, had decreed such to happen, and his parents are now in danger of the wrath of this king because they are defying the king and keeping their son alive because they saw that he was beautiful. It means that he was beautiful of bodily appearance. You know, and let me just say that I, I notice almost every parent as I go and visit right after births and celebrate with the families of a new child coming into the world, that, that it seems to be that every single woman thinks that their child is beautiful. And indeed, they all are. But we have to say something here that goes beyond because God notes it. And it tells us something about Moses himself, that this was above average child in his formation, in his bodily appearance. He was well formed. He was beautiful. And even another definition of this Greek word is that he was of noble visage. He was truly a beautiful baby. But along with this is a, is a foresight by faith, Joseph, or excuse me, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's family or of the king's command. And so three months they hid him. I'm sure trying to hide the cries, keep any notice that anything was going on in their house with a child. The book of Acts tells us this, and it's a very interesting account, for it is and encompasses some of the very last words of the first martyr of the church. As he was standing before Israel and accounting to them their history, and the history of God preserving them, and the history of God to send them their Messiah, their Deliverer, James stands and James speaks in Acts 7, verse 20. He says, at the time Moses was born and was well-pleasing to God, his parents saw beauty and God saw a pleasingness to this baby. And it says that he was brought up in his father's house for three months. And of course, that coincides with what we're reading in Hebrews. 
Verse 21 of Acts 7, it says, But when he was sent out, Pharaoh's daughter took him away and brought him up to as her own son. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. So he was taken in by the very daughter of Pharaoh, by the daughter of the king, and made as if it was his her own son, and then educated in all the wisdom of Egypt, and Egypt was very wise. And even more than that, it says he was mighty, he was mighty in words and deeds. He's of the highest educational standards, and not only was he educated well, he understood. And in his understanding, he did mighty deeds. And he spoke with mighty words. Something those parents saw preserved the life of their child. And I have to believe that there was something in them that trusted in the promise that God made to Abraham. God had told Abraham that he would make him a great nation. And the making of the great nation, whose number was more than the sand of the sea, he said, and of the stars of the heavens... It takes children. The promise of God to Abraham necessitates children, and it necessitates obedience of the people of Israel to make children. To defy even a king who can kill you for it and have children. To know the blessing of being part of God's promise to Abraham, the nation of Israel, and then to all the world. For in you, God had said to Abraham, all the peoples, all the nations of the world shall be blessed. You can't get to the deliverer who would come generations later without mothers and fathers producing children. And Moses was born, and Moses was hidden. By faith, Moses had faithful parents who defied a king and raised a beautiful son who would defy an empire led by a king. at the behest of God. What a beautiful child. This morning, we're going to look at faith that pleases God. See, faith takes action like the parents of Moses and their actions were to protect their child, to weave a basket and pray for his deliverance, and he was delivered into the hands of Pharaoh's very daughter. Faith takes actions, and actions are based on choices. What we choose. And we, as people of faith, like Moses, must choose God over every other thing in life that would take the place of God. To become people of faith, we choose God. And I want to show you this morning, one of five. Next Sunday, four of the five, as per James, good Lord willing. Five examples Moses gives us in this text of faith. 
Five choices he made in faith that become examples to us of a faith that chooses God. And it's put here so that we as well, in our turn, may become people of faith who choose God. So faith that pleases God chooses God, and it starts by choosing God's people. Choosing God begins by choosing God's people. Look at verse 24, Hebrews 11. By faith Moses, when he became of age, listen now, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He refused his adoption. See, if you're going to choose God, you have to choose God's people, and he had a choice to make. He was raised in the wealthiest nation of the world. Egypt stands as a hallmark of the ancient world's wealth, prosperity, dignity, and might. She runs throughout the discourse of the scriptures. And even today, we look and we marvel at these pyramids that stand in the land of Egypt, and we, in our modern age, with our modern equipment, our modern physics, our modern mathematics, cannot figure out how the pyramids were made. This is no small place we're talking about. No little people, but the greatest of those people. And they still confound us. We still dig up the earth looking for them. Trying to learn from them. Moses had it. He was adopted into the family of Pharaoh. And given everything that Egypt had to give him. And he marked a point in his life where he chose to disassociate himself from his adopted family so that, well, he could be with God's people. Notice he refused to be called the son of this woman, Pharaoh's daughter. Think about that if you're Pharaoh's daughter. A basket in the reeds floats down and you are there with your ladies in waiting, your ladies that are around you and you have visited the side of this waterway and you see this basket made so carefully and filled in with pitch and it floats along and your interest is piqued. You say, what is in that basket? And the young ladies with you, they fish this basket out of the water and lo and behold, a puppy! No, not a puppy. A real child. Beautiful envisaged. Why did God make this child so absolutely handsome? Beautiful in formation. Could it be that when these women would pull him from the water, from this life or death situation, for he will not last long in that basket of reeds? without help. And when they open the cover, there he is. And the heart of a 
daughter of Pharaoh is moved to make him her own. That's mine. And then mark it that she put the time and effort into raising him. Though some of you know the story, they very craftily had the, the sister of Moses wait close by and offer a wet nurse, and lo and behold, went and got her mom. And so he had his own mother as his wet nurse. God's plan. Nonetheless, he chose not to take that position. How many would do that? All the wealth, all the clothes, all the power. For me, I think my own chariot. Yeah, baby. The best parties, the best people, the best homes the best food. He said no. Refuse to be called son. What a slap in the face to Pharaoh's daughter. What a slap in the face to Pharaoh. What an enormous step of faith for a young man. There's always a point where people have to choose. They have to choose whether they're going to be of the people of God or not. And it is interesting, even in Hebrews chapter 4, we recall that choosing God's people or choosing the way of the world is still a decision to be made even by the Hebrews that he's talking to in this book and by us, let me say. We believers in Christ the Jew. In Hebrews chapter 4, we read this, For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. There remains, therefore, a rest, listen, for the people of God. If you want to enter into this rest that is a future tense, that God has provided for his people, you must identify as his people. Look at verse 10. For he who has entered into his rest has also has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Verse 11, let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall after the same example of disobedience. The call to all of God's people is to enter into his rest with the people of God, not with Egypt. Not with the United States of America. Not with any other people group. With God. In Exodus chapter 5, we read this in verse 1. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh. A lot of water has gone under the bridge in the life of Moses. From where we were reading earlier to where we are now in Exodus 5. In 40 years, he's been prepared by God, and now he goes back with his brother, by the way, older brother Aaron, and went and told Pharaoh this, quote, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let my people, what? Go. Let my people go. 
Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, and he chose to be associated with the people of God, that God would then send him back to announce to Pharaoh that he needs to let them go. Notice this, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. In Exodus 5, verse 2, Pharaoh answers this way, and it is an understandable way to answer. And it also tells you that there's something that had been lost by and large in the children of Israel in the land that he would say such things. Listen. Verse 2, And Pharaoh said, quote, Who is the Lord? Who is this master of all that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? Who is he? I do not know the Lord nor will I let Israel go. How could he have all these people in the land who are multiplying? How could he have all these people living in his land and not know? Somebody's not speaking. Somebody's not living as God's people. But Moses and Aaron say, they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. God's people. You know, to be part of God's people, you have to choose God. When you choose God's people, you choose God to become part of those. You must choose in 2 Chronicles, most people know this verse. I don't know that they really understand the depth of this verse. God says to his people, If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves. Who are God's people? God's people are called by his name. They are identified by him. If you're going to be a part of God's people, you have to choose God. And in choosing God, you choose God's people. You know, you can't stand in the middle and say, I choose God, but I don't like his people. The fact of the matter is, God's people are always hard to love. Can I have an amen? It was hard to love Israel. God himself calls them a stiff-necked what? People. Hard-headed, we would say. But any of you who've been in the church of Jesus Christ for a while, we know that God's people aren't much better. You're stiff-necked people. Did I just say that out loud in church? Some of you are hard to get along with. Pastor, you said, well, Pastor, you said it. <laughs> Which is true. There will be times I will be hard to get along with. If my people who are called by my name, do you identify both with God and with God's people? You can't have one without the other. Moses knew this. If I'm going to be a, a guy who's of the people of God, then my God is their God and he's my God. When Ruth, when she was transferring from Moab and their paganism and coming with her mother, her mother-in-law. She said to her, your people shall be my people 
and your God shall be my God. She chose God's people and she chose God. And by the way, one of her children is born and he's in the line of Christ. If you're a Gentile or a pagan or an Israelite, you must still choose God and God's people. And if you choose God today, then you have to be part of God's church. This is the church of Jesus Christ. I've heard so many people tell me that they believe in Jesus, yet they worship him in the mountains, and they don't like churches because they're filled with hypocrites. Well, surprise, surprise, Israel was full of hypocrites, so much so that Pharaoh didn't know who their God was, and there were so many of them walking the land that they were afraid of them, but where were their voices lifted up to the one true God? We find out later, no, they had adopted the pagan gods of Egypt. You must choose the people of God and you must choose the God of the people and then you must get together with them and live. And boy, does that take something. If my people who are called by my name, listen, will humble themselves. You know the most, you know what most arrogant thing in the world to say is I don't like church because it's filled with hypocrites. And you know what you are? As soon as you open your mouth and say that, you are a hypocrite. Well, come on in. You'll be right at home. And then we're going to have to forgive one another and love one another. What did Jesus say? How will they know us? How will the world know we're of Jesus Christ? He said, if you love what? One another. And how can you do that on top of the mountain where you're worshiping in the wilderness with your shooting iron in your hand or your fishing pole over your shoulder or whatever reason you give to not worship God on Sundays with the people of God? Go over to God's people's houses and eat with them and say, oh, yes, thank you for having me over and helping them move. Can I have an amen? You want to love people of God, help them move. That's all I'm going to say about that. This is the reality of living together. Humble yourselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Let me say something about this. I need to say it every time I read it because almost everybody in the United States that quotes that as a New Covenant, New Testament Christian says he's going to heal America. Guess what? Wrong. Second Chronicles was written to Israel, the people of God, and their land is where? Montana, Montana, glory of the West, of all the states from coast to coast, you're easily the best. No. It's Israel. This is a promise to God's people for Israel. He'll heal their land. And we're still waiting for God's people, Israel, to be humbled and to humble themselves. But we as well need to be humbled. Guess what? Because we're the branch that was grafted into Israel. That's God's people. To be a part of the church of Jesus Christ, you are following, hear me, a Jew. It 
In Acts chapter 15, and after they had become silent, James answered saying, Men and brethren, listen to me. Simon has declared how God at the first visited, listen, the Gentiles to take them, to take out of them a people, what? For his name. That's you. That's us. For his name, but we're still part of Israel. In the sense we're following their God. There's a necessity of a separation from those who choose the false gods. As well as the idols. It requires a turning away from idols to the living and true God. Notice Joshua chapter 24. Now this is amazing. This is Israel after Moses had brought them out of the promised land. And they're now in the promised land. And they failed to take all of the promised land and divide it up as God had told them. But Joshua speaks to him to them because he knows he's going to die and says this, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river in Egypt. Serve the Lord. See, Pharaoh hadn't heard about God because these people had taken up the gods of Egypt and it was Moses from among them all who turned away from the family of Egypt and chose God's people and God. But even now, later, there still needs to be a call from Joshua for them to turn away from their idols and serve the Lord. Verse 15, Joshua 24. And he says, if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. See, if you're going to be a person of faith, you have to choose the people of God. And by choosing the people of God, you have to choose the God of the people. So he calls on them to choose this for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods, small g, pagan gods of your fathers, sir, that your father serves that were on the other side of the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. And Joshua says this, and it's in so many Christian homes and out of context with almost everything that's associated with idols. And he says this, but as for me and my house, what? We will serve the Lord. That's the mark of a true believer. You choose God's people, you choose God of the people, and you choose to serve that God. You have to serve somebody. Bob Dylan understood that for at least a while in his life and wrote a song about it. But it also means a separation from those people who choose false gods. Moses was immersed in the pagan religion of Egypt and he was taught to worship their gods, small g. The Egyptians worshiped many gods, history tells us, Many of these were personifications of nature. Gods of the earth, the sun god, many of you know as Ra. Gods of the sky, even the Nile River, which is the lifeblood for Egypt that made them a wealthy nation and its floodplain that flooded every year and gave them the wheat harvest and wealth they worshipped as a god. 
Hence, when Moses is delivering the children of Israel out of Egypt, many of the plagues strike the river, turning it red, having wonderful frogs crawl out of it in a plague. As a sign that the God of Israel is greater than their supposed God of the Nile River. You have to choose your God. And then you have to choose the people of the right God and separate from those of the wrong God. Joshua, when he was about to die and leaving the land and the people in the land to finish the work, in Joshua 24 again, he says this in verse 22. So Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord for yourselves to serve him. And they said, We are witnesses. We're going to serve the Lord. Didn't they say that? They said that. Now therefore, he said, put away the foreign gods which are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. They said, we're going to witness. Oh yeah, but at home, we got a couple idols. And Joshua knows that. And he says, put them away. You know, people of faith in our day, we have to realize that there are idols that we bring into our homes. There's idols that we bring into our lives, and sometimes we don't realize that they're actually idols. Something we worship over and above God. When the choice comes, do I choose God's people and being with God's people and serving God the way God said to do it, if there's something there that says, oh, I got to do that. I can't do that today. I've got to do this. Then guess what just moved into the category of an idol? Notice I'm not naming it. Because if I name it, somebody here will get the zinger. Oh, that's me. And somebody else in here say, missed me. <laughs> Pastor didn't talk about mine, so I'm leaving it there. Notice Joshua didn't name them either. He just said, put away the foreign gods which are among you. If that's money, put it away. Doesn't mean don't use money. It says don't worship it. Pleasure, entertainment, you name it. If you don't want to be with God's people, then you don't want to be with God. Let me just say that again. If you don't want to be with God's people, then you don't have faith in God. Because God said, assemble yourselves. Be with one another. Love one another. Serve one another. Do unto one another. There's a list of one another's. Mark them in your Bible and then try and do them. You're going to see it takes a lot of love and even more faith to accomplish it. Even in the New Testament era, speaking to those who are Greeks in the Ionian portion of the Greek world, Paul says this by way of commendation to these real believers in Thessalonica. In 1 Thessalonians, he says this. He speaks by relating something that he heard from someone else about the Thessalonians. And he says in verse 9, For they themselves declare... 
concerning us what manner of entry we had to you. And here it is. How you, Thessalonians, turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Isn't that just like what Moses did? He turned from Pharaoh's daughter's house, refused to call him, be called son, and then, notice back in Hebrews 11, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. The Thessalonians turned from idols to serve the living and true God. And that's what you did today. If you were a person of faith, you had to turn from where you were going. You had to turn to the gods you were following. Some of you may have just turned from yourself. You know, yourself can be your greatest god. I want what I want, and that's all I care about. You might call that an own special kind of me too or me only situation. To be part of God's people. He refused the other people who were greater, wealthier, of more economic, higher economic position and power and under whom he could have risen, if you will, in his own eyes, higher than he could ever have imagined if he rejoined the slave people of his youth. In Exodus chapter 2, we have a young man named Moses choosing the people of God, but yet not yet trained by God. You could call him a zealot. He knows he's of Israel. And he's zealous to be known as one of them. And he tries to deliver them himself. In Exodus chapter 2, verse 11, listen to these words. Now it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out to his brethren and looked at their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. Listen to this. One of his brethren. He so identified with his own people that when he saw this Egyptian beating his own slave, a Hebrew, this is what he did. So he looked this way and that way. And when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid himself in the sand. Now let me just say something. You know, if you, before you do something, have to look this way and that way, let me just say as a tip, don't do it. You already know you're guilty. You know, as a football fan, I often say to these guys who, who are, you know, the cornerbacks are supposed to protect the goal and, and to stop the wide receiver from catching the ball, but they're not supposed to, like, hang on to them while they're running to catch the ball. But you see them, they're running after them. they got their shirt tail in their hand. And they're running after the guy, and they're pulling on it, and then they're hitting before the ball gets there. And then as soon as, as the play's over, they do this. They go. <laughs> they put their hands up. And I'm like, don't put your hands up. It's an admission of guilt. 
And what, is, what does the referee have to do? He has to think in his mind, I, yeah, I thought I saw that. Throws a flag, foul. But more than just a foul here is a felony. Moses kills for his people. He tries to deliver one. One man from a beating. Inappropriately and wrongly. Rather than waiting for God to deliver all the people. Moses is going to learn how to do that. But I'm not going to talk about it today because I've looked at the clock. And somebody must be messing with me. Because it says I'm supposed to be done. And I'm not done yet. I've thought about having you pack a lunch and my wife advises me, that's not a good idea. No, I really didn't ask her at all. Maybe I should. Maybe she'll say, let's do it. Take a break, have a sandwich, and then get back to the word. I can't do that today. I just have to say, when you choose God's people, you have to choose God's way. You have to choose God's way of deliverance. You can't deliver them. He does. I can't deliver you from the pulpit. God does. You can't deliver your friends in your life that are unsaved by beating them over the head until they capitulate or just try and get away from you. But you can be so winsome and so kind and so loving and so insistent over time that you watch how God will deliver them. Because you're a person of God, you choose God's people. And then you choose the God of the people, Jesus the Christ. And then you serve him by proclaiming him to the world. And God will save them. Let's pray. You are God. O oh Lord, and there is no other. And your Son, God, Jesus Christ, is our Savior. In Him we trust. And in you, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, we put our faith. We trust that what you've told us is true. Jesus Christ paid the full price for my sins on the cross, for everyone's sins who is here who will reach out and believe and accept Him as their God, Him as their Savior, Jesus Christ as their Lord. And in that promise, we also proclaim He's coming again. For that you have promised to set up a kingdom here on earth where you will reign in Israel and all the nations shall come up to you. And we pray for that reality as we wait for it. Give us impetus to share the gospel. 
Give us a love for our brethren like Moses that's willing even to die for them. And take us from here and let us change the world by faith. By faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.